Well, our series for Christmas is going to be the wait, right? As we wait for this perfect king. And over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at different facets of how God presents the king that he sent. But one of the things we probably should stop and pause and think about is this, is that waiting is rarely easy, right? If you're waiting for a root canal... (laughs) it's not one of the more fun things, and you can get anxious, you can get fearful, right? All these different things. Or if you're waiting for a big event, maybe a wedding, a birthday celebration, or waiting for Christmas, all these different things, it can actually strengthen our hope and build us, right? So what we begin to see is what we're doing while we're waiting is pretty important. In fact, I saw this article in the New York Times. It was about an airport in Houston, Texas. And what was happening was was there were a lot of complaints coming from the customers. So they would get off their plane and they would do what a lot of us have experienced, right? You get off the jet and what do you do? You rush to the baggage claim. And then what do you do? you sit and wait, right? And then you get all frustrated and all this. So after they saw all these complaints coming in, the executives circled their wagons and said, how could we solve this? And one of their solutions was, we need more baggage claim handlers, right? So more baggage handlers. So they started hiring more. And here's what they did. They got the time down in the weight below the industry standard, which was eight minutes. But guess what? The complaints kept coming. Well, why did the complaints keep coming? It's because what you're doing in the weight is more important than the length of the weight. In fact, in that exact same article in the New York Times, an MIT operational researcher discovered just that, the psychology of waiting. The length of time is less important than what is happening during the wait. So as we think about this wait for Christmas, right, and we talk about the wait of our king returning, right, we're we're in this season of life where we wait, and what we do is more important than the length and we're going to begin to see that this morning. If you have your Bible, if you'd open with me to Psalm chapter two, uh, Psalm two, Psalm two. Now, sometimes I'm asked this question, Tom: Why are you so strong about the Bible? Why are you so passionate about the Bible? And and I gotta say, probably the simplest answer for me is that God always tells the truth. He tells the truth about the world, he tells the truth about people, and he tells the truth about my own heart. And so I need to listen to him because he's always, always, always telling the truth. Well, if you're able to stand, could I encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word? Psalm 2, verse 1, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the ruler band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. 
The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Father, we look at your word, and and we do hold strong to your word because you tell the truth. You, You just lay it out there, whether you're talking about creation or parting a Red Sea or what we just read here. We just stand in awe of what you're doing. We don't always understand how you're doing things, but boy, we stand in awe because you tell us the truth. So God, give us ears to hear that truth today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, this morning, let's just begin where where the psalm begins. The nations rebel against the Lord, right? That's what we begin to see in verses 1 and 2. There's this massive, massive rebellion against the Lord. That's what it says. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples uh, plot in vain? So there's the peoples, right? The nations, people move against the Lord. There's these vain imaginations taking place. And then in verse 2, it says the kings of the earth rise up. They, They take their stand against God. They band together against the Lord's anointed. So when we read that, we see this Lord's anointed. And, and in Hebrew, it's Messiah, right? That's where we get our word. He, he's the a Messiah, the anointed one. Or in Greek, it comes through in the Septuagint as the Christ. And so here we see it translated as his anointed. And of course, they, they stand against him. If you read at the beginning of the psalm, it doesn't say the psalm of David, but if you read Acts chapter 4, we begin to see that in Acts chapter 4, this psalm is ascribed to King David, that it was King David who penned it. And very interesting, they quote these first two verses in Acts chapter 4. And just to bring you into the story there, Peter and John were preaching, and they were preaching about who? The anointed one. And so as they're preaching, after they had healed some people, the religious leaders had had turned against them, and they arrested them. And then after they interrogated them, you know, we get that great statement. Are we supposed to obey God or obey people, right? You be the judge. And of course, this infuriated them and they got released. But when you read Acts chapter 4 and they quote Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2, what they're saying is here's where we see God at work. There's this unholy alliance between the Jews and the Gentiles against 
the anointed one. That's verse 1. Why do the nations conspire? Well, they do conspire against the anointed one. The peoples do. So there's this unholy alliance between Jews and Gentiles. But then verse 2 talks about kings and rulers. And we see Pontius Pilate and we see Herod, right? They're plotting against this anointed one. So they rally together. And so there's this place where you just got to judge. Are you going to obey God or obey leaders. In fact, what we're going to see in Psalm chapter 2 is what is so important for all of us, is we're going to have a choice by the end of the message. Are you going to choose the king, or are you going to cling to self-rule? All of us are going to have to make that decision. And when I say all of us, we have a wide variety of people, not only here in the worship center, but also online. So whether you're far from God, whether you're near to God, whether you're cold towards God or whether you're white hot, all of us are going to have to make the decision that Psalm 2 pushes us to make. So the nations are rebelling against the Lord. He doesn't even tell us really why. It just lays it out because it's a rhetorical question as we'll see that it's useless to rebel against the Lord, right? That's where we go. The Lord installed his king, his son, right? That's where verses and following go. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. So we begin to see this, this one in heaven, Yahweh, he, he, he laughs at these kings and these rulers that are plotting against him. He laughs, he scoffs, it says. It says he scoffs at them, the people and the nations that are resisting his, his anointed one. You know why? Because it's all going to come to naught. All these people that are resisting what God is doing, Because then he gets to verse 6 and he says, I have installed my king. You are my son. In verse 7. So he installs his king. And of course, this psalm, Psalm 2, was really written ultimately and initially about King David, right? That God chose him. And you know the story of Israel. The people chose Saul and God said, no, Saul's ultimately not the one that I want. It's going to be King David and it's going to be King David and his sons. And God then makes a promise to David, King David. And we find that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So let's just look at that real quickly. A slide will come up. It says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will will be my son. That was a promise made by God to King David and his son Solomon, right? And then all the ones after him would be following in line. Is that God always tells the truth. He just says what's going to happen. So let me give you a little picture of the Davidic dynasty, right? So we got King David, and then we have Solomon, And then we have Rehoboam, and then I didn't list all the kings, but I had to jump and we get to King Jesus because there's one dynasty that follows all the way from King David all the way to King Jesus. And Jesus, or David, when he wrote this psalm, he says, I've installed my king. He's looking down the corridor of time and saying, this king is ultimately going to be Jesus because we saw in 2 Samuel, someone's going to be on the throne forever. Well, King David died. Solomon died. Rehoboam died. Each of these kings died. But guess who never dies? Jesus Christ, because he's going to reign forever. And then he says, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So this week, what we're looking at in our Christmas series, The Weight, is that Jesus, right, is the king, but he's described as the very son of God. And that's a miraculous claim. And we begin to see how God would make that happen, right, as we look at the Christmas story and how God overshadowed Mary without there being this sexual kind of thing that some people try to say is that God had begotten his son, as it says in verse 7, is that God had established his son. Well, you know why, and I know why that is so important. In order for God to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish with his son, we needed someone that would be sinless, someone that would be perfect, someone that could satisfy the wrath of God that's being poured out against all sin. Now, a lot of people don't see this, they don't believe it, but God always tells the truth. And that is, we have rebelled against God, we, myself, you, and all the people that live now, all the people that have ever lived, and all the people that will live are rebellious against God. They have rebelled against Him. And so in order for God to find a way to reconcile us, in order for us to be reconciled, made right with God, to be declared right, to be justified. It required God to send his one and only son. That is someone who is fully God and fully man. He's as much God as if he was never man. He's as much man as if he was never God. It required the perfect son in order to reconcile us to God. And so there's going to be a choice. Are you going to follow the way of the world and try to get to world rule or self-rule, or are we going to go the way of king rule? Well, not only did we see this in the, the diagram, but we also hear in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah picks up the promise from 2 Samuel, right? He says, I have made, or for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah picks up what Samuel, 2 Samuel recorded, which was actually Nathan speaking to King David, right, is that there would be a child born, there would be a son, and the government would be on his shoulders. Now, remember what I told you last week, everything is always rooted where? In the Torah. So Nathan was rooted in the Torah. Isaiah is not only looking at what 2 Samuel records, but he's looking back into the Torah. So what we find in the Torah, that is the first five books of the Bible, is that God had made a promise in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6. He says, I have made you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And of course, that's a little cryptic. How was God going to bring kings out of Abraham and out of his family. And so what we needed to see was it's going to take time and eventually God raised up David and then eventually we find our King Jesus coming in the way. So the Old Testament, they had to wait, didn't they? They had to wait for the perfect son to come. Well, what do we have to do? We have to wait for the perfect son to return. 
But let me tell you something. Our weight is going to be way different than their weight. We're not going to be looking for a star in the sky. We're not going to be following some wise men. We're not going to be looking for some cryptic thing about a baby in a stable, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, when Jesus returns, nobody's going to miss it. He's going to come back with power. He's going to come back as king. He's going to come back. And so what we are doing is waiting for his return. But what did I already tell you? What you do during the wait is more important than the length of time. So while it's been 2,000 years, what we do is more important. And that's where King David takes us. He says, blessed are those who kiss the sun. Blessed are those who kiss the sun. Now, some of us might pause and say, wait a minute, here we got God laughing, we got him scoffing at these rulers, at these people, but don't get too hard here, because in verse 10, he warns the people. In verse 10, he says, kings, be wise. Be wise. Don't be foolish. I've installed my king, and then he warns them, be warned, you rulers of the earth right? And then we're set up, right? Kiss the sun. So we have a choice. Every one of us. If you're far from God, you have a choice. If you're near to God, you have a choice. If you're white hot, you have a choice. If you're cold today towards God, you have a choice. And the choice is either you're going to kiss the sun or you're going to cling to world rule. Which way is it going to go? It's your choice. What does it mean, though, to kiss the sun? Well, it's a picture, isn't it? It's actually a beautiful picture. It's a picture of submission. It's a picture of honoring King Jesus. It's a picture of humbling ourselves before him. So let's look what he says. He says, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. So if you don't choose him, the path is destruction. And as I said last week, let me just bring it back. Choosing Jesus is consequential. Resisting Jesus is consequential. Both are very consequential. So he says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we need to submit. We need to honor the king. So how do we do that this Christmas season? How do you make these choices? If you're far from God, let me say, here's how. And it's a consequential decision. And if you deny Jesus, it's a consequential decision. Well, how do you do this? You bow your heart. You simply say, Jesus, I have rebelled against you. I'm a part of the rebellion that have resisted your kingship. I acknowledge my sin, and I repent of it, and I'm going to trust Jesus to be my redeemer. If you've never done that, right now is the time to make that decision. Because that's where it's going. Now, if you're near to God, you've, you've already made this decision, but, but, but you've been a little distant from God, just, just a little. Now's the time to bow your heart 
and say, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Lord. That's how significant it is to begin, as we say, a posture of surrender, a heart that's supple before the Lord, a heart that continually says, here, Lord, use me, take me. But let's get a little more practical. And I want to use the word intentional. Intentional. You and I have a choice. When we say kiss the sun, it's about being intentional this Christmas season. It's about making a choice. Are you going to give your kids a bunch of trinkets and toys that are going to get thrown away in a bunch of years? Or are you, mom and dad, thinking seriously about how you're going to spiritually help your children? If your child doesn't have a Bible, are you going to get a Bible for them so that they can read God's Word, who, as we've already said, God always tells the truth. There's subscriptions out there that you can get for your children to cultivate their spiritual lives. If you're married, be intentional about what you're going to get your spouse. It isn't just about buying the latest, greatest toy or the latest, greatest piece of clothing. Maybe it's time to be intentional and say, how can I cultivate the spiritual life of my spouse? Is there a devotional? Is there some kind of retreat I could purchase? Is there a conference we need to attend? Is there some kind of book we need to read together? If you're a grandparent, this is not a time just to throw out gift cards and just recklessly give kids money. Now is the time to be intentional. Kids need to be trained up. They need to get to our conferences. We've just hired a new uh, student ministries director. We have conferences and retreats coming up. This is a time of action to say, here's some resources, my grandson or my granddaughter, to help you grow in Christ because I'm so committed to seeing you flourish spiritually. Today is the day to kiss the sun and not cling to the things of this world. So let me give one more place to be intentional. Be intentional in your bold witness for Jesus Christ. Our mission at Fox Valley Church is to tell and show the story of Jesus. Be intentional. The Christmas season opens up lots of doors to tell people why you are a Christ follower. Walk through that door. Be bold. When we read Acts chapter 4, that's what we see is there was this boldness in Peter and John that they resisted the leaders that caused them to get arrested. You and I need to be bold in our witness for Jesus Christ. The the world is bold in rebelling against God. It's time for us to be bold in witnessing for Jesus Christ. This is the time. It says here, kiss his son and you will be blessed. Now let me just close a little bit thinking. Psalm 1 begins with blessed. Psalm 2 ends with blessed. You know why? Because the Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are meant to be read together. Psalm 1 is talking about blessed is the woman. 
Blessed is the man who follows the Lord. Psalm 2 is talking about the kingship and the kingdom. So all of us are going to end up somewhere. So when I say making a decision for Jesus is consequential, rejecting Jesus is consequential, everyone will end up in one of two places. Either you'll spend eternity with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the perfect Son for all eternity, or you will spend all eternity what the Bible calls hell, what you can refer to as a Christless, Jesusless place. There is no love. There is no hope. There is no flourishing in hell. I want to take a moment. I just want us to pray because you've got a choice right now. Right now is the moment of decision. Will you kiss the sun? Will you submit, bow, honor the sun? Or will you cling to the human rulers and bow to them? Father, we just pause right now. Your spirit is stirring. Your spirit is drawing. Your spirit is working because there's a lot on the line. Destinies are involved. The souls of our kids, the souls of our families. So God, would you remove any doubt, any unbelief, any skepticism? from kissing the sun. Whether someone is here that's far from God or whether someone here is white hot and very close, every moment is a moment to say, I will kiss the sun. Father, we want to make this Christmas the best ever. And that won't be measured by things it won't be measured by parties. It won't be measured by food. It won't be measured by bonuses. It won't be measured by material things. It's going to be measured by spiritual things. And spiritual people appraise things spiritually. Let us right now, God, by your power, bow, honor, submit, obey, the king. Let us kiss the king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, now's the perfect time, isn't it, to go to a more intimate place with the Lord. When you came in, you should have received some elements. If you have not, the servers are in the back. Just raise your hand and they'll bring you any elements if you don't have them. But this is a moment for us to turn in a place of intimacy. What God has given us is a place to meet with Him in the Holy of Holies to be in the very presence of Jesus Christ. Let me just say, if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, please don't take the elements. Think seriously about what God has done and what He said this morning. But if you've trusted Christ, and maybe there's sin in your life, there's something that has kept you 
from kissing the sun. Now's the time to repent of it, to turn away. God's ready to receive you. His arms are open wide. He's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of grace. Don't let anything hinder you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, but he said something so powerful, so insightful. He said, this is my body and it's been broken for you in order to bring us back into unity, into wholeness, into flourishing. As often as you take it, take it in my name. Let's take it together. That same night, he took the cup It's the cup of redemption. It's the cup that really required the perfect son, the God-man. You read that in John chapter 1. You can say, how did you do this, God? The more natural thing is to say, wow, (laughs) that he did it. And he did it so that we could be in his presence and have all of our sin removed. So when we take the cup, we're mindful that he forgives sin. He removes guilt. He takes away shame. And he takes away the sting of death. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is a cup of my blood. As often as you drink this, do it in my name. Let's take it together. Father, Yahweh, Adonai, the Christ, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray in your name right now that you, by your power, your enablement, cause us to live for Jesus Christ through the Christmas season. Help us to stay steadfast in kissing the sun. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's think about what he accomplished for us on the cross. He had a mission. Let's rejoice in what he's done for us. Let's praise his name. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled.